Hello and welcome, all listeners, to Xavier Newswire Live, the radio show that will catch you up on all of the Xavier news from Ledgewood Drive to Dana Avenue and beyond. Today is October 12th, and we are bringing the show to you live on XUFM. I'm David Ludwig. And I'm Will Pembroke. And in this episode of Newswire Live, you'll get to hear the Newswire multimedia crew bring you the rundown on the vice presidential debate with Grace Hamilton, sports report with Will Pembroke and co., and hot takes, the regional edition. That's enough for me now, so let's get right on to the show. At this time, I will turn it over to Grace for her article on the vice presidential debate. As the election comes closer, the vice presidential candidates Senator Kamala Harris and Vice President Mike Pence debated their policies and plans on October 7th. With Susan Page from USA Today moderating, the debate covered nine 10-minute topics. Page began by asking Harris how the Biden administration would handle the COVID-19 response. Harris started by announcing, The American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any presidential administration in the history of our country. She accused the Trump administration of knowing about the virus before telling the American people and not handling the response correctly. She then went on to say the Biden administration would put a national strategy in place with free vaccines for all and contact tracing. When Pence was then asked about the large number of deaths caused by the pandemic, he answered that President Trump put the health of the American people first by suspending travel from China. He then accused Joe Biden of plagiarizing Trump's COVID-19 response plan. To undermine a vaccine development because of differing political beliefs after continuously saying that they have done nothing truly is plain politics with people's lives, Julie Lawrence, an officer of College Republicans, said in response to Harris saying she wouldn't take a COVID vaccine recommended by Trump. As the debate shifted towards the role of the VP, both candidates avoided questions about whether the ages of Biden and Trump are a concern. Pence went back to the previous question to talk about a COVID-19 vaccine, and Harris talked about her and Biden's shared values. Stephen Curry, vice president of College Democrats, said, More than anything, what stood out to me were the questions that weren't answered. The questions that they aren't answering are the ones we should be looking into. Curry pointed out that Pence avoided questions about Roe v. Wade, and Harris avoided questions about packing the Supreme Court. Page then moved to the economy, asking Harris if Biden's plan to tax the rich would put COVID recovery at risk. Harris said that Biden would tax the rich and direct that money towards clean energy and improving infrastructure, as well as decreasing student loan debt. When the topic was directed to Pence, he responded that Trump cut taxes across the board and that the average household income rose because of it. He then said Biden would raise taxes on everyone, to to which Harris responded that taxes would not be raised on households that make under $400,000 a year. Pence responded to this, You're entitled to your own opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. The topic then changed to climate change, and Pence was asked about whether he and the Trump administration believe that humans are making the situation worse. He answered that the environment has never been cleaner. He referenced Trump signing the Outdoors Act to invest in public spaces and said that the Biden administration wanted to invest in the Green New Deal and ban fracking. Harris responded that Biden would not ban fracking, 
but still plan to invest in renewable energy, zero emissions, going carbon neutral, and re-entering the Paris Climate Accord. Pence said that Biden's plan to direct $4 million towards the environment will cost American jobs, which led to Harris criticizing Trump's trade war with China, saying that it cost Americans over 300,000 manufacturing jobs. Pence responded, lost the trade war? Biden never fought it. Page used this to segue to the next topic, China. She asked Pence to describe America's relationship with China, to which Pence responded that China is to blame for COVID-19 and that Trump is the only person holding China accountable. When Harris was given the chance to respond, she said, the Trump administration's perspective and approach to China has resulted in the loss of American lives, American jobs, and America's standing. After further talk of foreign policy, where Harris criticized Trump for siding with dictators and trying to make America isolationist, and Pence responded by citing Trump's relationship with Israel and the failure of the Obama administration to deal with the ISIS caliphate, the topic changed to the Supreme Court. When asked whether the Trump administration planned to overturn Roe v. Wade and ban abortions, Pence responded that they are excited for Amy Coney Barrett to become a justice on the Supreme Court and that she, he hopes she gets a fair hearing. Harris answered that the Supreme Court absence should not be filled before the presidential election, then did not answer whether the Biden administration planned to pack the court or not. The topic quickly moved to the issue of racial justice. And both candidates were asked about Breonna Taylor's death and whether or not proper justice was served. Harris responded by talking about the Black Lives Matter marches and the demand for racial equality. She said, we need reform of our policing in America and our criminal justice system, and went on to detail Biden's plan to ban chokeholds, require a national registry for cops who break the law, and get rid of private prisons and decriminalize marijuana. When the question was directed to Pence, he responded, I trust our justice system, and announced that he and Trump stand with the police. The final issue addressed was that of the election, as Page asked Harris what she and Biden would do if Trump refused to commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Harris then made a plea to the American people to go out and vote, but did not answer the question. Pence was then asked what he would do if Trump refused to transfer power and answered, <clears throat> I believe in all my heart that President Donald Trump's going to be reelected for four more years. From Curry's perspective, Harris's responses made her the clear winner of the debate and showed that she was capable of leadership. I feel like, and it's not just Trump, but it's everyone in the Trump administration, has this disconnect with reality, Curry stated. Lawrence believes that Pence won the debate, because even after the debate was over, the only thing people seemed to be talking about Harris was her reaction when the fly landed on Pence's head. If a fly is the only memorable thing to come from a debate, then they clearly did not say anything memorable, she said. The flying question landed on Pence's head and remained there for over two minutes, prompting hundreds of tweets and the creation of a Twitter account for the fly. A clip of Harris saying, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking, when Pence interrupted her, was also popular. 
All right, Grace, thank you very much for that testimony. It was uh, <clears throat> spectacular, very well worded, and I felt like you covered it uh, in great detail. Could you tell us a little bit about um, how you went about writing this article? Sure. So um, I watched the entire debate uh, on the Wednesday, Wednesday night when it um, was live streamed on ABC News. And as I was writing it, I pulled up a transcript of the debate from USA Today because I wanted to be able to quote everything that happened as accurately as possible and show the perspectives of both candidates. Uh, by comparison, I'm, I'm guessing you watched the first debate. Yes. You did. Hmm. By comparison, would you say that this debate was more or less watchable than the previous? Um. <laughs> I'd honestly say this one was way more watchable. Um, the first one drove me a, a little crazy with mm. the amount of interruptions, the insults that were exchanged. This one was by far more professional and civilized. I think we yeah. all agree with that I think one. I think, honestly, the reason that I was so... that I didn't watch the vice presidential debate was I just didn't want to relive the chaos of the presidential debate. I just wasn't going to have that. Uh, side note, we forgot to mention this at the beginning of the segment, but listeners, if you are live, uh, the phone lines are too. So if you want to come in, weigh in, share some opinions. All right. Going back to Grace here, uh, when you were watching the debate, obviously, I think we would all agree, as I said, it was a lot more watchable, as you said as well. Uh, would you say that the public was happy with the questions that were asked from what you could tell in your research? Do you think that people were um, more happy with the moderation? As I know that was a bit of an issue in the first debate. Um, I think that people were more happy with the questions asked. They covered a broad range. The moderator, Susan Page, did do her best to prevent what a uh, few interruptions uh, occurred during the debate, um, and I, I think overall the responses were good, despite a few times both candidates um, directly avoiding answering certain questions. So I, I also we also saw and heard that you highlighted um, uh, your conversations with officers from both both the college Republicans and college Democrats. Um, would you say their responses were about what you had expected? Um, were they mostly just telling party line, or did you see or hear anything that you didn't expect when you talked to them? Um, they pretty much went along with what I guess I could expect, though both provided criticism um, for both candidates, mm. but also praise for both candidates and, and how they conducted themselves. So both um, interviews really gave both perspectives, but again, in a civilized manner. That's one thing I did notice while you were reading your article is that both of the presidents of those clubs, the, the college Democrats and the college Republicans, seemed to be fairly equal on their criticism and praise of the, of the candidates. But I did also notice that the uh, the party line did show up when it was they were asked who they thought won the debate. The college Democrats, uh, the college Democrats saying that Harris won, and the 
college Republicans saying that Pence won. I did notice that a bit, but I guess when you're looking at things from that from a certain biased perspective, I, and I don't say bias is in a, a necessarily bad thing. I say bias is in they hold those political views, so obviously they are going to agree with those views more. Obviously, you're going to see things in a different light than someone on the other side of the political aisle. Yeah, I would agree with David on that one. Um, my final question for you would be, you know, obviously we saw the fly landing on Pence's head as being a highlight. <laughs> there were, you know, as with any debate, there are a few little sound bites that are going to be pulled out, like um, the one that Vice Presidential uh, nominee Harris had. Would you say that there were any things in terms of policy that really stood out to you that you're going to carry forward from that debate when you're looking uh, forward towards voting or just anything in general that you thought really stuck with you? Yes. So especially during the discussion on climate change, um, Harris mentioned Biden's plan um, working towards clean energy and going carbon neutral, but she reiterated reiterated multiple times that they would not ban fracking, which I know many people, including myself, would like to see happen. So, and, I, and I've seen many responses online to that, that she's uh, maybe alienating her base that uh, wants uh, fracking banned, but by saying that they definitely don't plan to ban fracking, maybe wasn't the best move. I would agree. That really stuck out to me, too, watching. And I was very surprised how quickly she went to deny that. Um, Especially since there were those... I don't know if Harris specifically said that her and Biden were in support of the Green New Deal, but Pence seemed to suggest that they were. But although I didn't watch the debate, Grace, in your article, did she did she respond to that? Or did she kind of avoid the topic of whether or not they were in support of that Green New Deal? In terms of the Green New Deal, uh, Pence, I guess you could say, accused them of yeah. supporting the Green New Deal and wanting to put that in place. Harris said, however, that they don't support the Green New Deal. Okay, they support okay. Biden's plan specifically. Interesting. Right. Which, as I understand, is kind of a less... I don't want to say radical, but maybe less extreme reforms compared to what we currently have, Yeah, I think is the right way to describe it. For sure. And I think that's what we've seen when they're talking about the Green New Deal, that the uh, Trump-Pence administration is really kind of lumping that in um, as if with Biden's plan and and their quote-unquote accusations of it. All right, Grace, thank you very much for your interview. Appreciate it a lot. You did an awesome job. Thank you very much, Grace. Thank you. And now we have 
the Campus Catch-Up with Multimedia Managing Editor, Hunter Ellis. Thanks, David. Hey, everybody. I'm glad I could be here. We thought that we needed to do a good job at updating you listeners about the news that's going on at Xavier's campus. So each week, we plan to have our Campus Catch-Up segment, in which we'll give you the updates on several quick hit news pieces that you probably would like to know about. So first up here, currently on display in the Gallagher Student Center on the second floor is a first year seminar art display. And on the third floor is a senior art display from senior art students. Also, the Student Government Association election is coming up fast. It's on Wednesday, October 28th. Be sure to prepare for that election. And if you're looking to run for SGA, don't forget the paperwork is due on October 14th. That's just a couple days away. Students, don't forget that academic advising started today. And within the next couple weeks, the schedule for the spring will be released. So keep an eye out for that. And also, the upperclassmen housing application is due today. So... Upperclassmen, if you haven't filled out that application and you want to live on campus next year, you should definitely get to that application. Um, on the front page of the Newswire last week, we heard about um, how black student leaders seize slab. So after administrators failed to organize a meeting with the black student leaders to discuss matters of race on campus, Black leaders collaborated with the members of the Student Leader Advisory Board, or SLAB, to take over the SLAB meeting last Wednesday night. They were met with the guarantee of a new Civil Rights Commission. And of course, about a couple weeks ago, the beloved parking attendant Jack Smith retired. That was in late September. That's all we have for you this week on this edition of the Campus Catch-Up. David, take it back to you. Thank you very much, Hunter. Uh, now, every week, the Newswire Live is updating you, the listener, on the status of COVID-19 on campus. As of October 11th, there are a total of 23 cases in the Xavier community. 15 students are isolated on campus, and six are isolated off campus. campus. Two are employees. As of October 8th, 50 students are in quarantine on campus, with 46 in their residences and 4 in designated quarantine spaces. 91 are isolated off campus. That's all for the COVID-19 campus update, so we will take you to intermission, and we will be back with Sports Report with Will Pembroke and Co.
And welcome back, listeners. The song you just heard was Inspiration by Raphael Crux. If you have any thoughts or feedback for the Newswire Multimedia crew, send them over to the multimedia team at XavierNewswire at gmail.com. Once again, that is XavierNewswire at gmail.com. You can also find Newswire live episodes on YouTube if you missed any. Search Xavier Newswire to find our channel, and we'll have full episodes and clips. So now we will move on to Sports Report with Pembroke and Co. Uh, if, if you would like to call in and add your own sports opinions or react to any of the opinions said in this piece, you can call our phone lines, which are open. Take it away, Will. All right. Welcome to Sports Report. Um, today, David will be joining me along with Multimedia Managing Editor Hunter Ellis and Campus News Editor Joseph Cotton. Welcome, guys. Hey, glad to be back again. Hey, howdy, hey. So, four agenda items for today. The first thing we're going to start off with here is that Xavier, the men's basketball team, is going to be hosting a four-team event to start the college basketball season. So, as we all know, with COVID, um, the basketball season and schedule has been a little up and flux. We haven't really, uh, we don't really know what's going to, what is going to happen for the whole season. How teams are going to handle traveling, um, how teams are going to handle conference play. But it looks like to start the season. They're going to be uh, beginning with some non-conference schools. Uh, they're going to be hosting Toledo, Bradley, and Oakland are all going to be hosted um, by Xavier, playing at Centos Center for a four-team tournament. Any thoughts, guys? I think that's good. I think that's a really good thing to start opening up as long as it's monitored well enough. Theoretically, this should be easy wins for right. the Xavier team, right? They should win these t- against these teams handedly. Otherwise, yeah, well, we might have some concerns again going into this year. Maybe maybe that's also the secondary reason. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I think um, yeah, one of the uh, concerns I've had every year is losing like these supposed to be like give me games at the beginning of the year. Mm. I'd like to see a Xavier basketball team that just, you know, comes out of the gate with, with fire. And I hope they do that. Um, you know, do they have a little bit of extra time because of COVID? I, I think they have. Yeah, I think they do. Um, I believe they do have a little bit of extra time. And like you mentioned, I mean, most of these games are against mid-major teams, lower-level Division One. Um, these are games that we should be winning handily. So uh, hopefully with the extra time before the season, um, you know, obviously they've been practicing, as we know, uh, for pretty much the entire fall. So we're all hoping for the best for the basketball team this year. And I know personally I'm very excited to have it back, even if we won't be in attendance. So... That's Looking awesome. forward to, um, you know, the the new recruits that we got. Yeah. And I think uh, Kiki Tandy, I think I think this is his year. Yeah. You know? Well, speaking of Tandy, uh, he set the vertical leap record. Uh, oh, for, he actually tied the NBA record as well with 48. Whoa. Wow. Um, so it's like, I don't know if that's a world record, but a country record at least in terms of basketball. So that's And a collegiate record. Collegiate record. Sounds, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was pretty impressive. Dang, we, all right. I know. So we have at least something to report on for the basketball team, which is exciting. Uh, we're going to move on now to women's soccer. Uh, they're preparing for the spring, it looks like. Um, as we've seen with the college football season, uh, a number of conferences like the, the Big Ten, um, SEC, uh, ACC, and I believe the Pac-10 Pac- uh, Pac- also, or Pac-12, also just um, they were originally not going to play football, and they uh, went back on that, and they're now playing football, but it doesn't look like for the Big East that's going to happen for any fall sports. Um, it looks like in this article written by Seth Ellis on Newswire.com, he highlights the fact that uh, the Big East doesn't have the cash flow of football really to worry about as much. It's not as big of a football conference. So, unfortunately, it does not look like we're going to be seeing 
um, the women's soccer team in the spring, which I know is a bummer for all of us. They're one of our best teams at this school, and we're very excited, very excited yeah. to watch them play. However, I, I can say, Will, I think um, it was even mentioned in the article just briefly, it could be a positive for the women's soccer team especially. Playing in the spring could give them a little bit more spotlight, Yeah, not overshadowed yeah. by some of these bigger football teams and the, the NFL season that's going on. So that could be a, a bright spotlight, you know, shown on the soccer the soccer teams. Which, uh, if you haven't been to a soccer game, really, I'd encourage you to go. It's a really, really cool atmosphere to go. Um, and this is coming from somebody who's never been to a basketball game on a Xavier campus. So, Ooh, if you want yeah. a hot take there before hot takes, well, pre hot takes. Well, speaking of hot takes, I mean, we talked I talked about the women's soccer team. Uh, actually, I'm a hot take from last week. So yeah, yeah I mean, we it's, did. it's they're spectacular. Joseph, any thoughts? Uh, not too particularly. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very talented. I remember watching the Big East uh, tournament last year. Um, so, yeah, it did seem like kind of an afterthought um, with all the other sports that were going on. So Yeah, I would hope that they get a little more spotlight than usual. That would be fantastic. All right, moving on to number three, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL. Um, Grace Carlo, a guest writer for Newswire, uh, Newswire.com, wrote, an article this past week detailing the Titans COVID-19 outbreak, which as oh, any NFL fan knows, yes, wow. um, they were, uh, I believe, found guilty of practicing illegally in terms of against the NFL's COVID-19 rules. Um, they've had, I believe, at least half their team now has tested positive. Uh, pretty major half? outbreak. Yeah. Half wow. of like a 53-man roster. Yeah. So uh, quite a few players have tested positive, uh, like I said, and it's really put the NFL in a tough spot in terms of scheduling. They had to postpone last week, weren't able to play. Um, it's still up in the air as if they're scheduled to play Tuesday of this week, which is an odd day for the NFL, uh, typically not a, a day games are played on. So yeah. it'll be interesting. And Hunter Ellis, our resident New England Patriots fan here as well, <laughs> has been dealing with some COVID issues with their quarterback and top defensive player getting it. So any oh, thoughts boy. on COVID in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's a, it's a bad situation that we're in. Um, you know, we had to take on one of the top teams in the NFL, or I, I guess most people would argue the top team in the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, without our, without our captain, without, without um, Cam Newton, um, and we hung with the team. I feel like if Cam Newton was there, it would have made a huge difference in that game. And you, you know, we could have been shocking people coming away with a win in that game. Um, but, but wow, losing your quarterback, losing reigning defensive player of the year Stephon yeah. Gilmore that's that's a heavy hit to take on the team um best wishes for those guys too I really hope that you know that doesn't have long-term health effects I know um you know obviously since COVID just hitting us we're not really sure what the the complete ramifications are but yeah. um I know that there's risks involved and and you know why I'd like to to see my Patriots out on the field I just uh <laughs> I'm hoping that the COVID spreading amongst the team stops and we can get back to some sense of normalcy. You know, normalcy, the the do your job, Bill Belichick way. That's what it's all about. You know, that, yeah. that normal atmosphere. And I think COVID's really thrown a wrench in that. I think we'll still make the playoffs, but. <laughs> so to our people who know football in this room, and this is mostly for my own knowledge, um, you said, Will, that they were practicing illegally. What are the NFL's guidelines on practicing during COVID era? 
Yeah, so basically the NFL requires uh, testing before every practice and game. Um, wow. Basically, they need to be tested every day, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the major restrictions. I don't believe they're in violation of that, but I do believe a number of the players went off and practiced on their own outside of the facility, which I believe is illegal at this point. Um, they're not encouraging, obviously, players to gather outside the facility. Um, so I believe that was an issue, and I know that mask wearing, which has been an issue throughout the season, and multiple yeah. head coaches have been fined, multiple players have been fined, so... Uh, not small sums of money either. A couple like hundreds of thousands of dollars have been doled out in fines already, and we're only in week four. It's not like they can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but no, I know mask wearing has been a bit of an issue, especially around practice facilities. And you know, you're seeing teams get comfortable. Um, I mean, it, I know watching it, even though there aren't fans in the stands for a lot of these teams, it feels like a normal NFL season, like in terms of you know the the media circus and the, the 24-hour news cycle of mm-hmm. football. That doesn't feel all that much different. And I feel like. Teams need to be careful of not getting too comfortable with these COVID restrictions. And honestly, the NFL has been pretty lucky to this point. Only really two or three teams have even dealt with major problems. So they continue to need to be careful. That's true. All right, on to our fourth and arguably most important topic. The Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA championship last night. Very happy for uh, LeBron James, who recorded his fourth championship too short of Michael Jordan for any, any of those keeping count, anybody keeping count. Nope. Um, and also his fourth finals MVP, which is very impressive. The Lakers won six games over the Miami Heat and won very handily last night. Um, I know, Joseph, you want to talk about some of the ramifications of this win. Uh, yeah, I think it's a you know legacy cementing win for uh, LeBron James, um, especially with the um, MVP trophy. Um, yeah, I, I think this really, you know, I don't think anybody can argue that uh, Michael Jordan was a better basketball player. I think. Oh boy. I think. Uh, wow. I think LeBron has the has the edge. Well, the other thing I forgot to mention: uh, three finals with three different teams. He's won four championships with three different teams. Obviously, Michael only won with the Bulls. Not to take anything away from his championships, but winning with three different organizations has only been done, I believe, a handful of times in NBA history. So that's very, very impressive. Uh, Fair as to your. I'm still going with Michael. I mean, he's six for six. I think that's going to be pretty tough for LeBron. We're getting a few uh, shaking heads in here, um, but this certainly, you know, levels up for LeBron. I mean, he's he's in his what 17th season now. He doesn't look any worse than he did five years ago, and it doesn't seem like he's going to stop anytime soon. So, you know, in the end, you may may prove to be right in my eyes. Yeah. Also, uh, another another thing we have to consider is the free agency circus that's going to start up here soon. Yes. Um, where does Anthony Davis go? Um, do the Heat sign Giannis Antetokounmpo? Yeah, I think that might that's, be a dangerous thing. That might be a very dangerous thing. Surely Davis has to stay at this point, right? You would think, and NBA history probably tends to suggest that you're right on that one. But you really never know, especially in today's NBA. There's so much turnover, so many guys moving teams. Uh, I know Anthony Davis has been linked to the Bulls. He grew up in Chicago, so I mean, keep an eye on that for sure. Uh, but I I would say it's pretty tough to leave LeBron at this point. But yeah. you never know. All right, that's our uh, our sports report. Thank you very much for listening. Really uh, quick, Will, before we before uh-oh. we get moving off, um, I just wanted to just pose a question to you guys. I mean, let's be real. Uh, even though COVID put the sports world at a complete halt for for everybody, whether you're a soccer fan, um, targeting specific people in the room, you know, whether you're <laughs> big into basketball, <laughs> football, whatever it is. Uh, everything was at a standstill, and then it all came back all at once, guys. Um, how do you how did you balance your time? I mean, we got the the MLB, um, you know, uh, divisional series. Um, 
the NBA final just wrapped up, uh, NHL finals, the Stanley Cup just wrapped up, Premier League just started, uh, NASCAR, if you care, they're in their playoffs, they're in the second to last round. How are you guys balancing that? What are you paying attention to? And I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious. There's a lot a, going on. I got an easy answer to that. I'm from the Detroit area, so the answer is just watch the NBA finals, and now I'm, I'm checked out. <laughs> There's no way I'm watching the lines. Oh, man. Well, I will say, I think there's a statistic that came out that every of the Ameri- the major American sports was playing all at the same time, which I don't think has ever happened before. For the before. first time in, like, in yeah, history. history. And, I mean, a couple weeks ago we had... Including golf and tennis, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it is a unique situation. <laughs> yeah. I, That's I, for sure. It was a couple weeks ago we had a golf major, we had a tennis major, MLB playoffs, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, and the NFL season was starting all at once. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were definitely deprived of sports there for a little while during lockdown. But if you're a sports fan, that was the time to be alive. It really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Listeners, if you enjoyed this segment, uh, let us know. Just... Reach out, uh, send an email to XavierNewsWire at gmail.com. We'd love to know your thoughts about the sports world. Please call us. We're so very lonely. (laughs) (laughs) We would love calls. You know, we love love opinions on this show, so please, whether it's with Grace's article, with what uh, what we just talked about, please feel free to to give a call, and we'd love to hear it. Yep. Uh, So that will take us out of Sports Report, and we will be back with Hot Takes. Hello and welcome back, listeners. Today we have a very special hot takes. It's the regional edition. Every opinion we give on this segment is going to be about Ohio and the surrounding Midwestern area. We are joined today by Will Pembroke, Grace Hamilton, Will Rippy, and are you joining in Joseph as well? And Joseph as well, Joseph Cotton. All right, uh, Will, do you want to take us out? I would love to. So, as you know, this show is known for hot takes. We love hot takes. It's the favorite part of every show for us. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to do a little uh, regional assessment of hot takes in the room. And I know we've had a number of people chomping at the bit to to go for it. So, I don't know, Grace, you want to kick us off with our first hot take of three? Okay, so my hot take today is that if you don't know what a corn pit is and you've never been in a corn pit, then you are not a true Midwesterner. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know what a corn pit is, so can you illuminate us? And I, and I, 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 I am not a Midwest, true Midwesterner. Hunter's clapping behind right, me. Of course. He doesn't think I can see his reflection, but I can. <laughs> so a corn pit can usually be found at a pumpkin patch when you go on your hay rides, corn maze, pick out your pumpkins, whatever else you do. Um, a corn pit is essentially a ball pit but filled with hardened 
kernels of corn and you wow. just go in and you play in it and you let the corn take you and it is a true midwestern experience that's all i can say and like i've asked so many people about it and no one's heard about it so they are not true midwesterners i'm gonna say that right now <laughs> wow well, at first I thought you were going to say that it was just full, like, yearns of corn and just being shoved <laughs> in you just jumped into the pit. I was like, whoa. Wow. Rippy, any thoughts? Um, I guess I'm not a true Midwesterner either, despite <laughs> the fact that I have been, um, that I've gone to Pumpkin Patches several times throughout my life, and I grew up in a rural Ohio area. I guess I'm just, I guess I'm just not there. <laughs> Did. I gotta find a corn pit now. I guess I gotta gotta verify myself, my Midwestern identity. Wow. Mm. David, any thoughts? I've heard of them. Never have I been to one. You well, have to go. Heard of it. He, I mean, he's heard. I of have it. heard of it. I have heard of it. I have heard tale of these corn pits. Uh, <laughs> I think I need to go to one before I turn twenty. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably probably a really good thing for kids. I still, I've still got a couple. You are months. never too old for the corn pits. Oh, okay. Never. Fair, fair However, uh, we should note that the Newswire Live is not legally liable for your attempt to substitute corn pits with the much less advisable grain silo. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, grain silo. Yeah, people asked about that. They thought when I said corn pits, I meant silos, which you definitely oh. can die in. Yeah, that's, it, okay. they're extremely deadly. Corn pits are very, very different. Well, we went very agricultural here to yeah, start, which yeah. is very fitting for the Midwest. Rippy, you want to kick us <laughs> off with our second hot take? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, New Yorkers, if I ever open a pizza restaurant anywhere other than New York, I am barring any New Yorker from entering. Wow. Because... New Yorkers should not be allowed to eat pizza outside of New York because all they do when they eat pizza that isn't New York pizza is just whine and complain about how it isn't <laughs> this New is York true. pizza. Like, it's my true. roommate yeah. is from New York, and anytime he gets pizza from around the Cincinnati area, he complains that it isn't as good as as New York pizza, and it's just annoying. Like, you don't even... No one's forcing you to eat the pizza here. <laughs> you don't have to eat it. If you're if if you know for a fact the pizza isn't going to be New York pizza and you won't eat it because it's not New York pizza, just don't buy the pizza and complain about it. It just saves yeah. us all like several headaches. Wow. Well, as someone who has a roommate from New Jersey, uh, very close to New York City, I can also affirm, and not just with pizza, but with several other things that New Yorkers tend to be very picky. Yeah. Um, so I would definitely agree with you on that one. Any experiences with New Yorkers, uh, David or Grace? Um, no, not with New Yorkers, but my family is from Chicago. Mm. I go to Chicago yep. a lot, and I got to make an argument for Chicago pizza. Yes. Please do. Deep Absolutely. dish. Let's turn this is into a pizza real... segment. It's the exactly. best. It's the best it's the pizza. Best. Deep dish. Just, it's I don't know what different. New Yorkers are thinking, but Chicago's the best. I, I feel like I don't like how New York pizza is structured. I don't. I don't really oh. like it that all that much. And like the the tiny like ground up sausage. I don't know. I like. Uh, I much prefer a Chicago-style pizza or even just a normal pizza with just larger sausage chunks. Also, Hunter would like to throw his hat into the ring because he just passed me a note saying La Rosa's pizza is the best, but he is a little biased because that is his other job. <laughs> wow. Well, but yeah. I'll take it. La Rosa's is actually very good. I, say I, I like their, their rondelles, mm. the little bite-sized, like... Little plug yeah. for La Rosa's here, on the, here in the segment. Sports I would agree. Rest, please. Pizza people in in the United States are very picky, in particular, about their pizza. 
Yeah, it really, is. though. It's, it's like a cult. Like every, There's just different cults in different sections of the country. So. <laughs> Not me, though. I'm built different. I can eat any pizza. <laughs> I would tend to agree with you on that one. I Except mean, for pineapple pizza. That's whack. I, I guess I have a pizza-related hot take, and Uh-oh. that is that the calf, and I think I've, I might have even said this before, so this might be a repeat, but the calf needs to have more, like, all-meat pizzas, like uh, some sausage, I, I, the pepperonis. Grace vigorously shakes her head. The pepperonis. You're talking good. to a vegetarian here. Understandable. <laughs> understandable. You can have that belief, and I will respect that. But I am highly carnivorous, and I, I need some some good all meat pizzas. <laughs> wow. All right, Joseph Cotton. Hot take number three. Hi, Joseph. Hello. Um, Coming up well, from the couch. Yeah, my my Midwest hot take. Just a second. Yeah, my uh, Midwest hot take is that. Um, West Virginia is part of the Midwest. Mm. Elaborate. Uh, well, I think that, you know, being part of the Midwest is, or part of being uh, from the Midwest is having this, like, uh, chip on your shoulder. Like, people look down on you, and I think people look down on the people of West Virginia, um, along with That's the rest of true. us. <laughs> along with the rest of us. I don't think Ohio, Michigan, any of these other states are immune to it. So that's why I think that they're, you know, sort of part of the culture, part of the, uh, the experience, if you will. Do they have, like... Does West Virginia have a very agrarian culture? Uh, no, but I think I think um, well, I'm I'm originally from the Detroit area, so yeah. I don't know. I I only know one person from West Virginia. So I'm kind of talking out. The real question, as we learn from the show, is do they have a kind of pizza? Do I'm they? sure they don't. Is there like, a West Virginian pizza? I don't know. Probably. They do have to deal with a lot of the similar problems that the rest of the Midwest has to. So like, okay, you know, yeah, from, that's true. From like Cleveland to Detroit, there's like. You know, problems with industry crumbling mm-hmm. and such. A little bit of Rust Belt. Yeah, no. yeah. And then the, um, you know, West Virginia, they're, you know, trying to think through, uh, you know, coal manufacturing and the implications of that in sure. the long term. So I think to truly, I think to truly judge how Midwestern a West West Virginia is, is we need to go to their, like, state fair or their, one of their county right. fairs. That's a really good point. That that's like that's the bar right there is is how midwestern is your county fair? Do they have a corn pit? Do they have a corn pit? Do they have a corn pit? I will say though, I do agree <laughs> <Just> that <laughs> I all of that's like what? Why? <laughs> I will agree that West Virginia is looked down on, but I'm gonna say that it's looked down on in a different way than the Midwest is because when people think of Midwest, it's very much. I don't know, you're all corn farmers from the middle of nowhere. Right. Um, especially Sometimes like we do. Yeah. soybeans. In Ohio, there's absolutely nothing there. That's, you know, one stereotype. And I think for West Virginia, most people think of mountains and, you know, hillbillies mm. living in the woods. Uh, hopefully not offending anyone from West Virginia. We're that, just talking stereotypes here. Stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. That marry, you know, their brothers and sisters and, <laughs> like, produce <laughs> incestuously. Ah. And it, so I don't know if it's necessarily Midwestern, but it certainly is looked down upon. So maybe we can make an exception. I think here's my opinion is I count West Virginia as rural, but I don't necessarily... It's, it's alpine rural in the sense of, like, of... Maybe there's not as many large cities, and maybe it's more spread out, but the smaller places are more communal. But I don't count it as Midwestern because of the landscape. Sure. West Virginia is very much in that, that Appalachian region, 
They have uh, the, what is it called? Uh, the Monongahela National Forest, very large forest range. The Appalachian Trail runs through there. There's that radio quiet zone. I know too much about West Virginia. <laughs> I know I know too much about the national park structure of West Virginia, but it's very beautiful. Uh, I've never been there, and I really want to go. I want to see some of the natural forest parks they have there. Sure. But I don't consider it Midwestern because it's more arboreal, more foresty, uh, whereas I consider Midwest, when I think of it, I think very much of the plains, the Great Plains, and I think occasionally, if we're talking, because the Dakotas are technically in the Midwest, I also think a bit of I think what we're realizing Black in this Hills. conversation is we need a council. To we meet, need a council? To adjourn, to, to understand that, like, how are we... We, we got to divide up the country in the, in the regions. I think there's only, f- like, five sub-regions of the country, and we need more. I think there more. needs to be more. Yeah. There needs to be more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can get aboard with that, on board with that, but I think, like, as it's currently constructed... You know, I think, I think it's a little sure. homogenous part of the Midwest. Yeah, you know, that's just how it is. It's a fair argument. All right, that's going to be it for hot takes today. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you to Joseph, Will, and Grace for coming on and giving us their their opinions. Will and Grace. <laughs> no, thank you. Sorry, sorry. I just, I was just like pop culture reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see you at the outro, listeners. Listeners, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today in this episode of Newswire Live. Thank you for tuning into the show today. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns for the Newswire Multimedia crew, send them over to us at our email, which is XavierNewswire at gmail.com. Once again, that is XavierNewswire at gmail.com. We would like to give a special thanks to Carolyn Youngquist, a senior music education major here at Xavier, who produced the music heard in our intro and outro. And as always, our intermission music is Inspiration by Raphael Crux. Uh, at this time, we'd like to give a shout out to our staff and guests who helped make this episode possible. Thank you to Managing Multimedia Editor Hunter Ellis, Multimedia Associate Editor and Co-Host Will Pembroke, Newswire Editor-in-Chief Heather Gast, Newswire Managing Editor Alex Budzinski, Producer Will Rippey, and our intern for this week, Grace Hamilton. Also, thank you to XUFM for the use of their space and equipment. Without all of you, this show would not be possible. Thank you also to Joseph Cotton and Charlie Gestalder for their wonderful additions to this week's show. If you missed any of our episodes, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Search Xavier Newswire to find our channel, which has clips and full episodes, so you can catch right back up. But of course, we would love to see you live, so don't miss our next episode, which as always is Monday at 7 p.m. Until next time, this is David Ludwig. And I'm Will Pembroke. Wishing you a mystifying Monday evening and signing off.